Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Kyle, and I have the privilege of serving as the youth director here. I'm also part of our next-gen team, and I am crazy excited to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. Hey, as we dive in, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online, and I want to give a shout-out to our church family at our Fulton Heights location. So good that we can be together this morning. Well, today we're talking about bad gifts. Raise your hand if you've ever received a bad gift. Anyone? Okay, we've got some hands going up. And uh, if the person that gave you that bad gift is next to you, now might just actually be the best time to elbow them and say, hey, you've got one week to redeem yourself. I see some elbows flying. This is fun. Well, this morning, I want to share with you a story of when I received a bad gift Not a Christmas gift, a graduation gift. Uh, Seniors in high school, they eagerly await their graduation celebration because at the end of the open house, oftentimes you're left with a box full of cards and contained within those cards are wads of cash and checks and every senior gets excited about that. I see some head nods, absolutely. And uh, when I had my open house, that was certainly my experience. The cards that I received contained generous financial gifts, all except one. Uh, This one card was thicker than the other cards, and so I was super excited to open it. And so I opened it, and I blew past all of the writing in the card because no one reads that. I wanted to see what the thickness was. And so as I opened the card, I discovered that the thickness was, in fact... Multiple scratch-off lottery tickets. Now, if the story stopped there, I wouldn't necessarily consider that a bad gift. But that's not where the story stops. The giver of this gift had generously done the hard work of scratching them off. And the giver of this gift had generously done the hard work, I kid you not, of determining that they, in fact, were not winners. Happy graduation. Listen, if you are still shopping for Christmas for someone in your family, get them literally anything else. Like anything else in the world is going to be better than that. Why? Because losing scratch-off lottery tickets is a gift you don't want. Am I right? You don't want that gift. Uh, Today we continue our message series titled The Gift. And we're talking about the gifts that the wise men or the magi bring to Jesus as they come and worship him. And I love this season of Advent because Advent is not about our faithfulness to wait. It's about God's faithfulness to arrive. And over 2,000 years ago, he did just that. In a town called Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. And still, over 2,000 years later, millions of people around the globe are celebrating his birth. And so we partner with millions around the world who are celebrating him today. The gift, our series, we're taking a look at the three gifts that the Magi bring to Jesus. We find the story in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read that together. It says this, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 10, it says, When they, speaking of the Magi, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child. Now Jesus is a toddler. He's probably in pull-ups at this point in the story. 
They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down to worship him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. As we've talked about the past few weeks, we've discussed how these gifts have physical value. Uh, But the gifts have spiritual value as well. The gifts point to something greater than themselves. The gifts point to who Jesus would become in his life. In part one, we looked at how the gift of gold points to Jesus as our king. In part two, we looked at how the gift of frankincense points to Jesus as our high priest. So in part three, the gift of myrrh, uh, man, this is where things get a little weird. <laughs> like, like scratch off lottery tickets, weird. Like this is a gift you don't want. Why? Because the gift of myrrh, one of the most common uses for the gift of myrrh in that day was, are you ready for it? Funeral embalming fluid. I told you it was weird. It's a gift you don't want. Uh, For many of us, in one week, we're going to be gathered around the Christmas tree with our family opening up presents. And I love this time of year, but for some of us, this time of year is super stressful because we don't know what people are going to gift us at Christmas. And as we've discussed today, there are such things as bad gifts, right? So for some of us, this is kind of a stressful time. And for some families, depending where you're at, there are unsaid expectations as to how you are to receive your gift. Uh, For some families, there's the expectation that you open the gift, you show the gift, and you talk to everyone as to how you are going to use the gift. So maybe for Christmas, maybe for Christmas, you look under the Christmas tree and there's a gift from you, and it's from your spouse. And you unwrap it, It's an eyebrow tweezer kit. (laughs) Honey, did you mislabel this? No? Uh, What are you trying to say here, (laughs) right? This this is a gift you don't want. Or maybe you get a gift from your in-laws. My in-laws are here. i got to be careful. It's a couple's gift. You love couple's gifts, right? And it's two tickets to a financial counseling class. Thanks, I think. I mean, I thought inflation was hurting all of us, but I guess not. Or, or maybe there's a gift under the tree, and it's from your mom. Now, your mom has a proven track record of great gifts, so you're not worried about this one. And you open it up, and it's a, it's a parenting for dummies. Now, it's here that I should share with you some super, super good news that... If we're connected on social media or if we've had a chance to connect over the past few months, you'll learn that in a few short months, on February 22nd, to be more specific, my wife and I are going to be welcoming our first child into the world, a baby boy. Come on, somebody. So if I open this gift from my mom, I'm going to be like, I haven't even started my journey as a parent and you're already calling me a dummy? Actually, I might want to hang on to this. <laughs> Listen, these are, these are gifts that you don't want. They're gifts that you don't want. But maybe, j- just hear me out here. Maybe these are gifts that you need. Myrrh is mentioned only twice in the New Testament. 
We looked at the first one in Matthew chapter 2. The second mention is found in John chapter 19. And that's the story that we're going to take a look at today. And we're going to find two individuals that receive a gift that they don't want. But it's a gift that they might just need. We pick up the story in verse 38. This is in John's gospel, John chapter 19, verse 38. This is what John records following the death of Jesus. He writes this, verse 38, later, again, right after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Finally, verse 42. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, which just means it was the day before the Sabbath. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, I don't know about you, but the first question that I ask when I read this story is, why are these two individuals taking care of the body of Jesus? Like, those aren't his boys. Uh, Where are the disciples? Where are Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip? Where are they at? Those are his boys. Those are his disciples. Jesus has been with them probably every single day for the past three years. Why aren't they taking care of the body of Jesus? And for whatever reason, we don't see that it's the disciples that take care of his body. We see that it's this Joseph of Arimathea guy who is a brand new character in scripture to us. And we see Nicodemus, who we only read about in two other places in John's gospel. So let's explore these two characters to see why of all people, it's these two individuals that take care of the body of Jesus. So when we look at Joseph, our first guy, we find that while he's a new character in scripture, he's mentioned in all four gospels, all in connection to this story right here. We learn that Joseph is a rich man. Uh, It's actually his property, his garden, and his tomb where they would lay the body of Jesus. And we, we learn that Joseph apparently is a strong man because Matthew's gospel tells us that he's the one who cut the, the tomb out of the rock. And so Joseph has done a lot of preparation work to get ready for the body of Jesus. And it's my guess that he has done all of this prep work when nobody's watching. Why? Check it out in verse 38 again. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. So why does he do this in secret? Because he fears the group of people that would have Jesus arrested and killed. And here's the crazy thing. Joseph was part of that group. He was on that team. Joseph would have to vote on whether or not he thought Jesus should be crucified. And this is, Luke tells us how he votes. Luke writes this, chapter 23, verse 50. He says, now there was a man named Joseph, 
a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not, had not consented to their decision and action. If I could just paint the scene of what likely happens here. The Jewish leaders, they arrest Jesus and they bring him to a room. And this room is crowded. You've got everyone in this room. You've got the chief priest, you've got the high priest, you've got the Sanhedrin, you've got the elders, you've got the teachers of the law. This room is packed and they are angry. Jesus has like publicly insulted pretty much all of them. And, and the people were starting to follow and gravitate to the teachings of Jesus. And as that happened, the influence of the religious leaders began to diminish with every sermon that Jesus preached. And so these religious leaders are angry. They want their influence back. And so what they do is they begin to to call Jesus names. They begin to spit on him. Read the text. It says that they blindfold him, begin to punch him in the face. And as this is happening, Joseph of Arimathea, who's a secret disciple, he starts to shed tears and inch his way to the back of the room. You see, he, he has heard the teachings of Jesus. He has seen the miracles of Jesus. He knows that Jesus is not a fraud. But when the religious leaders begin to shout, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, Joseph likely runs out of the door and he weeps. How could they? You know, Joseph couldn't save Jesus but he could provide him the proper burial. And that's what he does. And he has help from Nicodemus. Our text says this again in verse 39. It says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Now John here is pointing us back to a pivotal conversation that Nicodemus has with Jesus back in John chapter three. And notice when this conversation happens. It's at night. And Nicodemus doesn't want anyone in his business. He's not about to do this in broad daylight. Looks like Joseph isn't the only one who is scared of the religious leaders. And what's interesting is that in this pivotal conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, man, Jesus gives him something that changes his entire life. Jesus says that if you want to inherit or receive the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the spirit. And Jesus shares with Nicodemus the most famous teaching in all of the Bible, John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The most famous teaching, Nicodemus was the first one to hear that. And and Nicodemus, my man was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law, but yet he walks away from this conversation scratching his head thinking, what is this teaching? I've never heard anything like this. And he wants to believe. Nicodemus wants to believe in Jesus, but he fears the repercussions of his peers. And we know that because in John chapter 7, Nicodemus tries to stand up for Jesus, but they shut him down. You see, both Joseph and Nicodemus try to defend Jesus before the Jewish council, but it doesn't work. And you know how the story plays out after that. 
the Roman soldiers, they crucify Jesus. And when Joseph hears that he's dead, he goes to Pilate and he asks for the body. And Pilate agrees. And so Joseph and Nicodemus, they go to where Jesus was crucified and they are carrying with them 75 pounds of myrrh. Why so much? Because they wanted to give Jesus the best of their resources. You see, they wanted to give him the best of their resources to show their love and their affection for Jesus. You see, just as the Magi gave Jesus their best gifts at his birth, so Joseph and Nicodemus give him their best at his death. You see, when you approach a king, it's appropriate to give your best, not your leftovers. And so that's what they do. But hear me, church. A dead body is a gift that Joseph and Nicodemus did not want. But it's a gift that they needed. It's what they needed because of what the gift points to. The gift of myrrh points us to his death. His death points us to his resurrection. His resurrection opens the way for us to receive the greatest gift of all time, the gift of a savior. And hear me, church, if there's no death, there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there is no savior. And if he is not our savior, then he is just some dead Jewish rabbi who said a lot of very strange things. But I've got good news for you, church. Guess what? The body that Joseph and Nicodemus laid in the tomb, guess what? It's not there. I'm gonna preach. On the third day, Hear me, on the third day, God went into the tomb and raised Jesus from the dead. On the third day, God went into the tomb. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And now Jesus ascends into heaven as the king of kings and lord of lords. Roll the credits. Cue the band. We don't have on our hands a dead Jewish rabbi. We have on our hands a living savior. He's the living savior. Listen, I can just imagine Jesus as he inevitably sees Joseph and Nicodemus lugging 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. I can imagine Jesus seeing that moment saying, guys, I appreciate the love, but I'm not gonna be here long. (laughs) And God raised him from the dead. Listen, I know it's Christmas, but that's okay. If I want you to catch this one thing, I hope your heart receives this this morning. The gift of a savior is not a gift that we want, but it's a gift that we desperately need. And hear me out for a minute. Here's why I say it's a gift that we don't want. Because to say that we need the gift of a savior implies that we're broken. It implies that we're messed up. We don't have it all together. That no matter how hard we try, we can never be good enough. And oftentimes, that's hard for us to admit, isn't it? Listen, I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, man, I need a savior. I need a savior. You know who else needed a savior? Joseph and Nicodemus. They needed a savior because inevitably they needed 
a savior because they had this sin debt in their lives. And no matter how hard they tried, they could never pay it off. And they needed a savior because as we look at the text, we see that they are trapped in a religious system. In a system that's all about checking the right boxes. In a system that's about appearing a certain way. In a system that's about saying the right things and not saying the wrong things. Appearing to have it all together or trying hard and harder and harder. They needed to be saved. And and here's the crazy thing. Joseph and Nicodemus, they had physical Jesus right in front of them. Like, not some theory or idea. They had physical Jesus right in front of them. It's likely that Joseph and Nicodemus, they witnessed the moments when Jesus told the blind man to see and he saw. They witnessed the moments where Jesus told the lame man to walk and he walked. They even likely witnessed this one time where a Canaanite woman goes to Jesus and she's like, can you please heal my daughter? She's demon-possessed. Jesus is basically like, okay, done. And here's the thing. The Canaanite people, they were traditionally enemies of God. And so you've got Joseph and Nicodemus. They're like, who is this guy? He heals his enemies? Who is he? And that's the Jesus that's right in front of them, and they can't say yes to him. Why? Because they're trapped. They're trapped. (laughs) As Jesus is healing the blind man, as he's healing the lame, as he's healing his enemy's daughter, he sees Joseph. He sees Nicodemus. He knows what's in their heart. And he knows what it's going to take for them to break out of this oppressive religious system. What is it going to take? His dead body. Jesus will go to any length to save you and to save me even if that's death on a cross Jesus will go to any length when Jesus was alive they operated in secret they would go see him at night but after his death all bets are off When they hear Jesus' death, Mark's gospel tells us that Joseph boldly, boldly goes to Pilate and asks for the body. And then Joseph and Nicodemus, they go to the place where Jesus is crucified. They take down his body, get this, in broad daylight. Everyone could see. And they take down his dead body and they travel to the tomb with 75 pounds of myrrh and spices. When they did that, in broad daylight, that I can't explain how big of an X that put on their back. It's such a big mark on their back. Um, Jesus, he, he was a convicted criminal who received the death penalty by Roman crucifixion, the harshest penalty that anyone could receive. And because they went to get his body in broad daylight, they just made the most wanted list. And check this out. This is so fascinating. I learned this when I was studying this week. When you look at the Jewish records of that time, um, the the Jews were meticulous record keepers. Uh, They would keep records of dates, of people, of events. So when you look at the Jewish records of that time, 
And when you look at the people who were on the Jewish council, guess what two names you don't find? Joseph and Nicodemus. Scholars believe that because of this event, they saw them as traitors and they erased their name from history. You see, Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they didn't want a savior, but they needed one. So what about you? Do you need a savior? Are you stuck in a religious system that's all about checking the right boxes? It's all about appearing a certain way, a system that's all about saying the right things or not saying the wrong things or appearing to have it all together? Are you crippled with regret? Is there a day in your past where you blew it so bad that if the person that you are with now found out about that day, they're gone in the morning? Do you have a weighted scale in your life where you are measuring your good deeds and your bad deeds and you are praying like crazy that God would give you enough time for the scale to tip in your favor? What do you need to be saved from? Do you need to be saved from yourself? Maybe from the idea that you have it all together and that you're fine on your own. Listen, that's why the gift of a savior is a gift that you don't want because it implies that you're not fine. It implies that you don't have it all together, that you're not fine on your own. Listen, from one friend to another, every moment in my life when it just gets crazy and I try to save myself and I try to rescue myself, I fail and I fail miserably. <laughs> I unfortunately prove time and time again that I am a crummy savior. I'm a crummy savior. And I bet you are too. But here's the good news, friends. We don't have to be a savior because we have one who is and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's proven to be the savior. Listen, the grave couldn't hold him death couldn't keep him. The Roman soldiers, their best laid plans could not eliminate him. 75 pounds of myrrh and spices could not keep his body dead. He's proven to be the savior. And oftentimes we're over here saying, well, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, you're not. Stop it. Give up. You don't have to be the savior. You have one who already proved it all. What are Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. I did some studying this week. Guess what that means in the Greek? It means it's finished. It means everything that would need to be done for Jesus to pave a way for salvation. It is finished. It is done. He is seated on his heavenly throne. Here, here's a theological question. Why do you sit down? Because the job's done. Whatever was required for Jesus to bring salvation in your life, it's done. It's finished. He's paid the price. He's the Savior. All he's waiting for is us to throw, us for, to throw up our hands and say, Jesus, I'm ready to be saved. He paid it all on the cross. What about you? 
Do you need a savior? At all of our locations, let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to wrap up. I think the evidence is clear. Jesus has proven to be our savior. He's risen from the grave. He's defeated death. He's seated on his throne. The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. That includes you, that includes me. I wonder if someone is here this morning or Fulton Heights watching online who would say, to Kyle, today I recognize my need for a savior. Today I recognize that I don't have it all together. I'm not as good as I thought I was. But I'm not fine on my own. And I need someone to come in and save me. And maybe this is a first time for you. Or maybe in your walk with Jesus, maybe you made a commitment long ago to follow him, but through the circumstances of life, you've kind of gotten off track and you would say, today, you want to return home to him. If that's you this morning, here's what I want us to do. Just so that we have a moment with us and Jesus, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. I want this to be a moment with just us and Jesus. If that's you this morning and you would say, Kyle, I want to receive Jesus as Savior. If that's you this morning on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you would just simply slip up your hand. We're not going to do anything freaky or weird. I just want to see who that is this morning. If that's you on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and lift up your hand. I need Jesus. Yeah, that's good. I see some hands going up here in the room. I want to acknowledge what God is doing at Fulton Heights. I'll give you more time. You're saying, yes, Jesus, I need you to be my savior. Come on in. Anyone else? Anyone else in the room? All right, you can put your hands down, open your eyes, and look at me. (laughs) Scripture declares that when one person comes to Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. Can I tell you that this morning, guess what heaven is doing? They're rejoicing. They're rejoicing. Praise God. So, so here's what I want to do. For the people that raise their hand, I want to simply lead you in a prayer. And this is simply your moment of calling on Jesus. And he said he's going to come in. I'm not going to come in. I'm not that good. But Jesus is going to come in. So if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Uh, Church family, if you want to pray with me as support for these individuals, feel free to do so. So let's pray. Say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Thank you that you are the king. Thank you that you are the high priest. Thank you that you are my savior. I trust in you that your grace, your blood, your work on the cross was sufficient for my salvation. And I declare that today I am loved, 
I am chosen, I am forgiven, I am made new. In Jesus' name, come on, can we celebrate and say amen, church? Come on, he's paid it all. He's the Savior. Let's worship the King of Kings this morning. Come on, let's do it. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.